This is the St. Longinus' Baptism Podcast Channel. This is listener mailbag number five. Phineism. The the latest form of Jansenism. Okay, so this particular topic was suggested apparently <laughs> um, I, I did kind of know that the uh, minions of the demon brothers are all over the internet but apparently one of my listeners <laughs> poor guy <laughs> uh Oh, somebody within his particular group uh, has apparently swallowed the Demon Brothers um, cult of personality and their heresy hook, line, and sinker. And speaking from my own personal experience, um, people like the Demon Brothers are actually a cult. I don't know how else to put it because <laughs> the, I, the reason I call it a cult is, is they'll defend the indefensible to their dying breath and nothing you say or do is going to change their mind. You got to pray for them and hope that God does the rest. Now, the particular person that asked for this topic wanted me to kind of talk about the Demon Brothers. Uh, for that listener, I just want to let you know, as I said earlier, um, I've been listening to some of my previous uh, podcasts, and I believe under the episode where it says, um, watch the content you consume... I pretty much take the Demon Brothers to task. Um, and quite frankly, to, and to, the, to the familiar people that know about this stuff, it's, it's, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. And it's not... It, I'm not going to say anything about the demons that other set of a contest haven't already said. So, what I'd rather concentrate on is Jansenism, well, Calvinism, Jansenism, and Feneism, because they're all interrelated. For a quick background, because I'm that autistic, John Calvin started his own, oh, and Thank you, Lord Jesus, Mother Mary. Um, when I say cult of personality and a um, cult, ah, <laughs> uh, John Calvin. I, I'm not saying that there haven't been other cult leaders before him, but. He's the earliest modern example that I could list. Um, 
for those of you who don't know, John Calvin started his own little communita in Geneva right after Luther revolted from the Catholic Church. Actually, they both revolted from the Catholic Church. And um, interestingly enough, uh, to the uninitiated, John Calvin was actually a canon lawyer before he decided to revolt against the uh, Catholic Church. And if you read his theology, it shows. Because in my experience, most lawyers have a legalistic mindset and they forget about the human element in people. They're all about the letter of the law, but not about the spirit of the law meaning that you want to err on the side of mercy. But part of his theology, which is called Calvinism, is predestination. Now, you know, I'm actually, I think I'm going to actually have to go back oh, this, and maybe re-listen to Thank you, Lord Jesus, Mother Mary. I covered Luther's heresies, and I said that I would get to Calvin's heresies at a later episode. Um, I think I might do that for general edification purposes, because a lot of people don't know about Calvinism and how Calvinism has infected modern society. But... The heresy of Calvinism is is that God at the very beginning of time predestinates people for heaven and people from for hell. Now a lot of Protestant um grifters will try to convince you that oh no 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 he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't uh, predestinate people for heaven or hell. Um, he he knows who's going to take uh, who who's going to take his offer of salvation. Who's going to reject it? That's a damn lie from the pit of hell. My uncle was a Calvinist. When I was a Protestant, we used to have arguments about this, and when I tried to. To argue with him about foreknowledge, he denied foreknowledge. He said that, no, 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 uh, foreknowledge was predestination. Okay? Um, Calvin taught, literally, you can look up the theology, that God from the very beginning makes people expressly for heaven and makes people expressly for hell. Um, nothing they do in their lifetime changes that that verdict. Okay? Um, so, and what's insidious about it is some Calvinists would actually argue that people who appear to be devout and pious are actually damned. They're actually damned because God wanted it that way. Now, 
I'm not gonna, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not gonna try to use rash judgment on John Calvin's mindset, but given the tenor of his philo- uh, his theology, I think that there was a streak of the sadist in John Calvin, because I can't think of anything more sadistic than a god who, from the very beginning of time predestinates people to heaven or hell and they have no choice. Now, I don't know what kind of uh, sick individual thinks that somehow this is right and just. This sounds like the very opposite of justice. And um, the mere fact that you're not giving a choice in your eternal destination also sounds sadistic because it is a matter of Catholic doctrine that a spiritual doctrine at least that damn people would not want to go into heaven. A, listen to uh, Father Bernard Utley's uh, podcast series on the spiritual life. On SoundCloud and True Restoration Radio. Or I'm sorry, SoundCloud and uh, Spotify. Because he talks about this. People who are mired in sin. If God out of a misplaced sense of sympathy brought these people to heaven. The best way I can put it. It would be like taking a fish out of water and dropping them on the ground with no chance to going back in the water. I don't know how else to put it. But if you read John Calvin's um, theology... And for those of you who don't know, before I became, I, I, I started, uh, before I became a Protestant, I pretty much read um, as much as I was able uh, about Christian theology and history and stuff. And um, when I read about Calvin's theology, it, you have to bear in mind my context. I was a complete and utter pagan. Um, I thought Catholics and Protestants were the same. Everybody was a Christian. And I just knew after reading Calvin's theology that that man did not have the Spirit of God and I wanted nothing to do with his theology. The only reason that I put up with my uncle's Calvinism was because I did love and care about him and you have to overlook the faults of your relatives if, if you, you know, if you're a good person or I want to say good person, but if you're a loving person, um, it's if you read the tenets, it's very legalistic. You can tell, you know, 
when I read that John Telvin was a canon lawyer before he broke off and started his own church, reading his his theology, it's literally like reading a law book. <laughs> it is literally, it's that dry. But it, like I said, it's all about the spirit of his law. Remember, Calvin broke from the Catholic Church. So, this is John Calvin saying, no, 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 Mr. Pope. You got it all, Mr. Magisterium, Mr. Saints and Doctors of the Church. You got it all wrong. I got it right. And it's all about his law. And in his law, there's no mention of a spirit of mercy or charity. Um, you know, I, I'm just giving my honest observation about his, the type of person he appears to be. Reading his theology, I sincerely think either he was slightly mentally ill. Oh, by the way, if you want a really ins uh, a really good idea of what type of guy he was, read about when he literally ran Geneva, which is a town in Switzerland, like a dictatorship. I believe it was the first proto-dictatorship in modern times. Um, but he was either, you know, seriously mentally ill or he was a sadist. Now, this is just my observation. I'm not judging the man's soul. I'm not judging his intentions. I'm judging what he wrote and how, what he practiced. Anyhow, so as I said, he, he started off in Switzerland. And he was literally, like I said, he started the first cult of personality. Because heaven forbid you were one of his followers and got talked, uh, got caught criticizing him. If if you were allowed to, if you were exiled out of Geneva with your whole skin, you were blessed by God. Um. While his followers went into France, well, they went everywhere, but. Where uh, Jansenism comes from is um, from France. And how this happened was his, his followers went into France and formed their own little uh, communitas. And they, they were Protestant. They denied... They denied, you know, the authority of the Catholic Church and they were known as Huguenots or Huguenots. And they were just French Calvinists. And apparently, some of the more lukewarm Catholics liked this theology of Calvinism. And what they did was, was... Instead of becoming Huguenots or Huguenots, they decided to stay Catholic but infiltrate 
Calvinism into the, the French Catholic Church, which is known as Jansenism. And I like to say, as a pithy comment, that just like Vatican II is Protestantism with a Catholic facade, Jansenism is Calvinism with a Catholic facade. And the Jansenist being um, the twisted heretics that they were, they added their own twist to Calvinism. Now, it has always been part of the teaching magisterium of baptism of blood and baptism of desire. I've explained this in other episodes, but the listener wanted me to comment. So, baptism of blood means that you're a catechumen, but you, you get martyred before you're able to get baptized. Now, according to the Jansenists, you go straight to hell. You, have, you absolutely have to be baptized before getting into heaven. Baptism of desire is um, you want to, you know, you want to be a Catholic, you're a catechumen, but instead of getting martyred for the faith, you might fall into a ditch and break your neck. You might die of a heart attack. A, a, a building stone may fall on your head and crush you. Now, According to the Jansenists, um, you go to hell as well. You, there, like I said, the whole. In order to grasp why Jansenism and Calvinism are linked at the hip, is what I said earlier. They're all about the spirit of the law, but not about, oh, I'm sorry, the letter of the law. And because this is a Protestant heresy, they have no qualms about uh, cherry-picking individual sources that back up their theology, no matter what the teaching magisterium might say. And the teaching magisterium <laughs> has always taught that if you, if you are martyred become, before you get baptized, you may have to go to purgatory, but you get to heaven. And the same thing if you die before being baptized, you go to heaven. But they will selectively cherry-pick uh, I'm talking about the Jansenists. They'll 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 selectively cherry pick um, certain saints quotes and stuff that appear to back up what they're saying. Now, so we're on the same page here. Calvinism started out in Switzerland in the 1500s. It moved to France in the 1500s and pretty much by the late 1500s, early 1600s, the French 
church itself was infested with Jansenism. There are a couple of French saints who actually had to appeal to the Pope in Rome to give them uh, legal protections against the Jansenist hierarchy that was infesting France at the time. Otherwise, these, these corrupt heresiarchs would have tossed them into jail and let them rot. So they had to get um, a, a, a dispensation in Rome that when they started their, their apostolates that they were only answerable to the Pope, not to the local hierarchy. And I could tell you who these saints were. It's not germane to the question. Everybody's interested. Uh, feel free to message me on Telegram. Anywho, um, so the the person that asked me this question is like, I don't understand. And if you have no experience with this type of person, then the best I can say is, I'm sure everyone's heard the old expression, you can't deal with some people. And it's like this with Calvinists, Jansenists, and uh, Phineas. So, in addition to their heresy of denying baptism of blood and baptism of desire. Oh, and that reminds me, the Council of Trent, which happened during the Jansenist revolt, with, well, it, it was a revolt, but it wasn't an open revolt as the same as the Protestants. It was a undercover revolt from within. The Council of Trent actually covered the baptism of blood and baptism of desire and stated categorically that, yes, these are dogmas of the Catholic Church. Categorically. But you, 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 you try to tell some of the Fenians that and they don't want to hear it. Anyhow... In addition to this, they also denied that Mary was co-redemptress of the world. Uh, yeah, yeah co-redemptress of the world. Now, I'm going to try to make this as simple as I can because I realize a lot of people listening to this are probably, this sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook. It has always been... A teaching of the magisterium. Now it had not, as far as I'm aware, it has not been defined dogmatically by a pope or a council, but it has always been part of the teaching magisterium that when Mary consented to having the Holy Ghost come inside of her and put Jesus in her womb, that she automatically became a part of Jesus' salvific 
um, salvific mission to the human race. And not only by doing this, she, she was granted special graces to begin with, but by cooperating with the Holy Ghost, she became co-redemptress. And part of her mission as co-redemptress is that Jesus Christ, being the king of the universe, basically allows her, he grants her the graces, and he allows her to dispense with those graces as she will. And in addition to that, she also intercedes on the behalf of mankind. Now, <sighs> there's a lot to unpack here. But basically, we as human beings, because we have the stain of original sin, we cannot just go to Jesus directly. Now, I know you Protestant autists out there, Jesus. You're, you're unworthy to go before Jesus. That crap that Luther gave you about your sins being covered, is a, it's garbage. He made it up. That is why I said on my episode about Mary, her importance. Now, Luther de denied her, well, actually all Protestant uh, founders, for lack of a better term, they all denied Mary's uh, co-redemptor status. They, 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 they went so far as to call her just a regular sinful human being. But because we human beings, you know, no matter how good our intentions are, are flawed, we need his mother to go to him with our prayers and petitions and to get whatever graces are necessary for us to get to heaven. That's as simple as I can put it. And like I said, I covered this in a previous episode, but it needs to be explained because the Jansenists denied they denied her her role as co-redemptress. Now, of course, because of the time period we're talking about, the 15 to 1600s, they couldn't outwardly deny it. Because the popes at that time would have excommunicated their butts faster than a New York minute. So they did it, they did it undercover. They, they did it undercover. Oh, and another thing too is one of the uh, heresies of Jansenism was they would, they would only have communion once a year. Once a year. And um, like first communion 
one of the tenets of Protestantism was was um, like infant baptism. They said, oh no, we don't need to baptize infants. They need to know what they're doing. That was another Protestant heresy. They, they, they didn't baptize and give first communion. And I've read in uh, Catholic history that there were some people who did not receive baptism and first communion till they were in their 20s. Now, to the person who asked this, uh, brought up this topic, he, he doesn't have a lot of Protestants where he's at, so he does not understand how the, well, how Pro, uh, Vatican II is Protestantism and how Jansenism, he doesn't get the, the, how the, the, the heresies of Protestantism. He doesn't understand. And really, to get the full flavor of Protestantism, you either have to live in a Protestant country or you have to be a Protestant yourself at one time. But, so, these were the various and sundry heresies that Jansenism practiced. And remember the two saints that I mentioned that they had to get a special dispensation to the Pope to keep the Jansenist hierarchy off their back? <clears throat> a favorite, and one of these saints wrote, he wrote a few books on Mary, and he said one of the favorite, he didn't name them by name, because he was living in their country. He was a French priest. So he couldn't come right out. The Jansenists teach this. But what he did say was, well, you'll have some people say, well, I can't give Mary, Mary any honor because uh, that would take honor away from Jesus. And that's how the Jansenists would, would you know... They, they give you a pious excuse, but in reality, if you know your theology, it's not pious. It's Protestantism, straight up. Anyhow, um, so Jansenism intermixed with what another heresy French heresy unfortunately known as Gallicanism for all intents and purposes I've covered the heirs of Jansenism and that's what's important well in the 1950s a and like I said Calvinism was the first cult of personality Jansenism, because it was trying to maintain a Catholic facade, might have had a cult and personality in different parishes, but overall it did not have the cult of personality flavor that Calvinism did. There's a reason I'm mentioning this. In the 1950s, there was a uh, priest, a Jesuit priest, named Father Leonard Feeney, 
who basically took the Jansenist heresy and updated it for the modern world. And he was excommunicated by Pope Pius XII. Now, if you talk to the Demon Brothers minions, they'll try to make some piss-poor excuse about how, well, it wasn't Pope Pius XII that did it, it was some modernist in his, in, 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 in his uh, magisterium. It's garbage. It's garbage. His archbishop who excommunicated him, his, his order of excommunication for Father Feeney was signed off by St. Pius XII. Now, I, I, I said earlier that I'm not going to make this about the Demon Brothers. I'm not. But Feeneyism was such a cult of personality that when Feeney got excommunicated, a bunch of his parishioners followed him into exile. And they started their own little chapels and whatnot, spreading their chance in this heresy. And that leads us to the Demon Brothers. The Demon Brothers, they're only slightly younger than me. They're only slightly younger than me. And the, the Demon Brothers, as human beings, have many faults. But as I was telling a friend of mine tonight, the one fault they do not have is lack of consistency. I actually wish that a certain segment, not all set of a contest now, but a certain segment of set of a contest, were as consistent in their beliefs as the demons are. Now, obviously the demons are heretics. And um, I, I believe the average set of contests are not heretics, but... They're consistent. They're wrong and they're heretical, but they're consistent. And they have the courage of their convictions. They have the courage of their convictions. Now, where their courage lacks is that they won't follow the truth where it contradicts their preconceived notions of the box that they've shoved God into. And like Father Feeney, they've started their own cult of personality. Because anyone who's ever had the misfortune, like I have, of dealing with a demon um, minion will know that you they will not listen to reason. And I'm sure many of you, even if you're not even Catholic or religious, have run into people that absolutely will not acknowledge a plain truth when it is thrust in their face. They 
stubbornly and obstinately cling to the delusion that they're under. Now, what I told my friend tonight was, was birds of a feather flock together, and that's absolutely true. Because, now, I've never dealt with a uh, pre-demonite uh, phenite. But, given the, the, the history that I've heard about their movement, I can honestly say that the only thing the Demon Brothers have done is updated the Fenite heresy to today's modern audience. And like the Fenites, like the cult, the literal cult, a personality um you know you've heard the expression don't drink the Kool-Aid they've literally drank the Demon Brothers Kool-Aid and they they will hear no no uh no uh criticism of the Demon Brothers no matter how justified it may be they, they will not allow it they won't listen to it there's no reasoning with them. And um, just as a quick aside, uh, when I got in my little T to T with some uh, demon uh, minions on a YouTube chat board last summer, they were tossing around the word heretic, schismatic. They were just they were guilty of uh, rash judgment. But I knew from my encounters with them that if I accused them of rash judgment, they'd brush it off or they wouldn't listen. And this was in text form, obviously. But I, one of the guys I, I, I was uh, trying to reason with, I wrote to him and I said, Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I, I apologize. I am just an ignorant layman who doesn't know anything. And I apologize for questioning you. Because it's quite evident you're a, ma you're a uh, member of the magisterium. And I have no right to question you. And this guy was so deep in his autism that he did not get my sarcasm. Now some people would say, well, sarcasm, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a verbal. Sarcasm is a verbal form, not a written form. I kind of beg to differ with that. Because other people that were in that thread got what, exactly what I was saying when I said it. That this guy was so deep in his autism, he was like, what are you talking about, man? I'm not, I'm not a member of the Magisterium. Which, in case people don't get sarcasm, was my point. He, he didn't have the authority to be calling people heretics and schismatics. Now, as I've said in earlier episodes... 
I call the Vatican II sect members heretics and schismatics, and I do the same thing with Protestants. I do do that. Because these people, Protestant and Vatican II sect members, and for that matter, the Fenite Demon Brothers, they are obviously heretics and schismatics. And when I say this, I'm not judging them. I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not making comment on the state of their soul or their intention. I'm going by their literal actions and their words. Written and spoken. That is not rash judgment. You are... I know, I, apparently moderns don't get the concept that you can you can you can make a judgment of a person's actions and words anyhow so but um your average demon brother minion um the only thing I can equate it to, and if you've never heard about this incident, Google it, it'll be all over the place, was the Jonestown Massacre back in the 70s. James Jones was a Protestant guru who had a bunch of followers who he was basically milking them for all their cash. He controlled all their actions. And he was, he was actually sleeping with his followers' wives, and they, they had no choice in the matter because if they dared say anything, one of his goombas would shoot them. Well, apparently the U.S. government got wind of this and was going to arrest him. So he lit out to, Guya to Guyana in South America and formed his own little compound. And the U.S. government was going to follow him there, and they sent a representative or a senator, I don't know which, to, to investigate the claims against him. When he found this out, be, um, some people say Nancy Pelosi was involved in that. I don't know. But somehow he was tipped off. And... He, he forced his, some of his followers drank poison Kool-Aid willingly. The ones who would not do it willingly, he forced at gunpoint. And the ones that wouldn't do it at gunpoint, they just flat out shot. And apparently when this senator or representative landed at the local airfield, Jones's bodyguards met him at the airfield and they had fully automatic M16s they shot up the uh, the committee and killed them all that were going to investigate James Jones so that's the only thing I can equate now I'm not trying don't get it twisted, people. I'm not trying to imply that the Demon Brothers are living, um, that they're sleeping with their followers, wives or girlfriends, and that if the federal government gets involved, they, you know, he's going to force them to drink poison Kool-Aid. 
What I'm saying is they follow the demons as unquestionably or unquestioningly as the James Jones followers followed him. And as I said in a previous episode, sadly, there is a certain segment of set of accountants who do the same thing, not as in a intense level as your demon brother minion, but in their own wet, erroneous way, they do this. That um, when it comes to the clergy and hierarchy, they're sacrosanct, they're above question. And um, if you criticize them, or not criticize, if you, if you raise questions or question their, their actions, that somehow this is a personal attack on them as a prelate. And to those set of accountants of this mindset, I want to remind you what I said in that episode. The popes themselves are only infallible when they are teaching in faith and morals. For the perfect example I would give is Alexander VI, the Borgia Pope. The Renaissance Pope. He is such a notorious, uh, scandalous Pope in his personal life, mind you, that they have made mini series about him. Now, you know, the the the, the mini series are just basically meant to tear down the papacy. But he was a, a notorious sinner. Not heretic, sinner. Because some of the Protestants after he died tried to discredit the papacy by, by saying, well, oh, you have sinful popes. And it took, I, I believe St. Rob, Robert Bellarmine was one of the um, cardinals who argued against the Protestants and said, wrote the, uh, the magisterial teaching that a pope can be sinful in his life. And by the way, Alexander VI was not the only example. There were guys, popes before him, who were public sinners. But when it came to their teaching and their dogmas, were absolutely orthodox. So, you're, the people that you're putting on a pedestal, they should be respected, yes, because they're bishops, they're princes of the church, but that doesn't mean a prince of the church cannot have failings and faults. And it does not mean that if they do, and they do it publicly, that you cannot raise the issue. Now, I don't remember if I raised this in that particular episode that I did, 
So in case I didn't, I'm going to raise the issue now. Um, how do you think we got Vatican II? I'm begging you, set of a contest with this mindset to use your gray matter and your critical thinking skills. We would not have had Vatican II if the laity of the particular diocese that these bishops were in who signed off on this heretical document had raised a stink if they recognized errors and heresies coming from that bishop. Now, I'm, not, I'm also not excusing the popes who basically, you know, it wasn't just uh, Pope Pius XII. Um, basically, the, the one pope who made a, uh, a wholehearted attempt to crush modernism, and he was notorious for this, was St. Pius X. Now, I like St. Leo XIII. I absolutely love him. But apparently his record on cracking down on modernists was lukewarm at best. But my point is, is um, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that the, that the popes and the Vatican between uh, 1914 and 1960 did not play a role in the heretical Vatican II Council. But what I am saying is, is if your grandparents and your extended family, you know, going back a hundred years, had heard their bishops saying something, or their priests for that matter, saying something, um, not liberal people, not liberal, unorthodox, And said something about that. Um, maybe Vatican II um, would have been delayed for a few decades. Would have been delayed. So, anyway, this I, I do not. I've, I've I've already said my piece about set of the contest and their own cult of personality that they fall into. Oh, let me go back. Not all set of a contest, a certain segment of it. And honestly speaking, I would say the majority of this type of set of a contest is online. They're online. Because the set of a contest who are trying to be pious and devout tend to stay off of social media because of its inherent pitfalls. So, I just want to make it clear, not, not a general criticism of the set of the contest movement, just of a certain segment of it. Anyhow, so, um, I really hope that you found this informative I hope it gave you food for thought. And I want to encourage anybody 
who listens to this podcast, if there is a particular uh, if there is a particular topic, or if you have a question, reasonable question, to me, I can be reached. My Telegram, my my Twitter is shut down, but you can reach me on my Telegram. It's in the podcast notes on all my platforms. Leave me a question on my Telegram. And I I will put it in the listener mailbags. So I just want to say I I really appreciate you listening. I really do. Even even if you think I'm a blowhard, even if you think uh, I'm a pretentious uh, a hole, if you gave me the time, thank you for listening. You gave me your time. I can't ask for anything more than that. So I do appreciate it. And I'm praying for everyone in my life uh, who's in my life directly or indirectly. And I really would like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. So God bless you. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. Bye-bye.